Any Zach Williams fans here? Yeah, wonderful music. Thank you, band. They can play anything. You're blessed. In 1989, four college-age guys started selling T-shirts and baggy shorts to their friends on the West Coast. They named their company No Fear. Now, their products became popular with those who wanted to proclaim to the world they had no fear. You could see it written, no fear. This sounds good, but many of us, in some way or other, struggle with fear sometime in our lives. That's why we're starting this new series today called No Fear. Did you know that fear on steroids is called a phobia? Now, I want to mention a few of the over 400, and you heard that right, 400 recognized phobias. The first one is claustrophobia. Claustrophobia is a fear of confined spaces. Who in the room has a fear of confined spaces? Okay, it's a pretty common one. How about arachnophobia? And I may be butchering some of the way to pronounce these, but arachnophobia, somebody know what it was over here. It's a fear of spiders. Now, they made a movie out of it, but it, not Spider-Man. <laughs> but in 1990, there was a movie called Arachnophobia. Now, if you have that phobia, I want to warn you, it's been a while since the exterminator was here. And occasionally, I know those spiders like that concrete floor under the seat. So you might want to check right now and feel free to move to another seat if you need to. Now, many people have this next phobia. It's called glossophobia. And it's the fear of public speaking. Now, Jerry Seinfeld from the Jerry Seinfeld Show he said, people have a greater fear of public speaking than they do of death. And so when you go to a funeral, he said, most of the people there would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Now, I like Jerry Seinfeld, but I'm not so sure that's the case or it's true or not. How about this one? Homilophobia. It's a fear of sermons. <laughs> Like I said, 400. Now, if you have this fear this morning, you better take another Xanax. Because uh, this is going to be a long sermon. But not really. Now, here's one that could be a problem for a few of you in the room. Pintheraphobia. Pintheraphobia. You might want to write this one down. It's the fear of mother-in-laws. Anyone have that? No one's brave enough to raise their hand with their mother-in-law sitting in the room. Another fear is ecclesiophobia. Ecclesiophobia. And that's the fear of churches. A lot of people have this one, don't they? 
Now, the people with this phobia can't raise their hand because they're not here today. So lots of phobias, over 400 phobias, lots of fears in our life. We can put a slogan on a t-shirt that says, no fear. But that's not entirely accurate because we do have fears in all shapes and sizes. Here's the good news this morning. God is greater than our fears. Can you say that with me? God is greater than our fears. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The writer here was David. And he basically said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is that scary, frightening place where we're all headed, but I still don't fear. And so if we could interview David, we would say, why is that, David? And he would say, because God is with me. For David, as well as for each of us this morning, the presence of God in our lives makes all the difference when it comes to fear, whether it's fear of death or the fear of this sermon. The Bible tells us there is a good fear. The fear of the Lord, read it with me, is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The phrase here, the fear of the Lord, occurs 11 times in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And we would expect that because the teachings in the book of Proverbs guide the readers in how to lead wise and, and godly lives and how to avoid the pitfalls of ungodly conduct as they go about their daily living. The fear of the Lord recognizes God for who He is. And it responds by trusting, worshiping, obeying, and serving Him. Now, for us to see the very first time a human being ever experienced fear, we must go all the way back to Adam and Eve. These two were living in the most beautiful place ever created, which was known as, anybody know? The Garden of Eden, yes. God made Adam and Eve physically perfect. They lived in a perfect environment. They had a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with each other. So why, with all of that going for them, would there be any fear? Got a long passage here, and while you follow along, I'm going to read it out of my Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God called out, where are you? And Adam said, I was afraid. This is the first time a human being experienced fear. And as we dig deeper into this story this morning, we'll see, make three discoveries Concerning fear. Discovery number one, fear comes from disobeying God. In Genesis chapter 2, we learn how God made Adam from the dust of the ground, and then later he makes Eve from one of Adam's ribs. And that reminds me of the story of the young boy who was in the kid zone on the Sunday morning that Pastor Kim was teaching about how God created everything, including human beings. And little six-year-old Johnny especially liked the part about Eve being made from one of Adam's ribs. So later in the week while he was home, he was on the couch one day and kind of feeling sick. And his mom asked him, he said, are you sick, Johnny? And he said, Mom, I've got a pain in my side and I think I'm going to have a wife. Well, I'm happy to say that Johnny got better, and we don't expect him to have a wife for quite a few years to come. You've probably been to many weddings, as I have, but I've never seen God officiate that one. But he did officiate at the very first wedding. The groom was Adam, and the bride was Eve. For this reason... A man will leave his father and his mother and will be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both without clothes and were not ashamed. God created Adam and Eve, but he didn't provide them a Macy's credit card to purchase clothing. You see, they lived in a climate-controlled environment and they didn't need clothing. They were innocent, having no shame, no sin or guilt, and thus they had no shame. Now before we go on, I want to pose a biological question. One I'm sure that you were thinking about as you even came in this morning. Did God give Adam and Eve belly buttons? Now this is a deep one. Some of you are scratching your head right now. You see, they didn't have umbilical cords, did they? Because they didn't have mothers. And so 
Did they have navels? Who votes that they had navels? I was thinking maybe God gave them navels because then when they had their children, they would look like, you know. So we got a few that voted for belly buttons or navels. Now you that voted for navels, were they innies or outies? How many of you, just by way of curiosity from the guy up front here, how many of you have an any? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I do. I had to feel it, make sure. How many, then the rest of you have outies. You got to have, yeah. There's no in between, is there? So something happens, and it causes Adam to be aware that he's naked and afraid. Now, where have I heard that before? Naked and afraid. No, I don't watch the TV show. I have seen it, but I'm not a follower. What happened to Adam that would make him afraid? He disobeyed God. Adam was given one command by God. He and Eve didn't have the Ten Commandments, which would come thousands of years later. They had just one command, and here it is. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That was one command. Don't eat from this one tree. And we don't know how many trees were in the garden. There could have been a million trees. Could have been a thousand, ten million of all varieties, the most luscious fruit you'd ever know. God gave Adam that one command before he created Eve. And then later, Adam, her husband, tells Eve that God said they could eat from every tree and every fruit grown on the trees in all of the garden except the fruit from one tree. You see, they had one command. One, not ten. One, not fifty. One, not a hundred. Only one, and they blew it. Did you ever wonder what you would have done had it been you in the Garden of Eden? See, I've thought about this before. Just one command, David. I want to give you one command. Now, David, surely you can get that right. Just one. No. David couldn't get it right. I believe I would have done the same thing Adam and Eve did with just one command. After Satan deceived Eve, she and her husband both sinned by disobeying God's one command. They ate fruit from the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now they're experiencing something they've never known before, fear, fear. And that fear is causing them to try to hide from God. 
Now, if you don't get anything else from what I say today, get this. Your sin, my sin, causes separation between us and God. And when that happens, we experience a loss of closeness, a loss of fellowship with God, and the potential for fear can set in, and it's a high probability. Before he sinned, Adam wasn't afraid. He didn't even know what fear was. He was close with God. But now, his disobedience and sin has brought separation between him and God. When you and I are separated from God spiritually, there is fear. That's why David could say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me. And the flip side of this verse would be, but if you're not with me, God, I'm afraid. I'm very afraid. So the first discovery in our story is fear comes from disobeying God. The second discovery is fear comes from a sense of self-consciousness and awareness over sin. Adam and Eve were created by God and they were both naked. But they didn't have a sense of knowing that they were naked and uncovered. But now because of their disobedience, because of their sin, their eyes were opened in a way they'd never known before. Now for the first time they recognize they're without any covering, they're without any clothing. And when God came looking for them in the garden, he calls out, where are you? He, Adam, answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I said, so I hid. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God asked Adam, who told you you were naked? Who do you think told him? Was it one of the animals in the garden that Adam had named? Was it a giraffe? Was it a monkey? Was it a kangaroo? Who told Adam that he was naked? No one told Adam. Because of their sin, Adam and Eve now had a knowledge and awareness of self they didn't have before they had disobeyed and sinned. Prior to them eating that fruit from the forbidden tree, they had not been self-conscious, but they had been God-conscious. They had been thinking about God and, and how much they loved Him and how they wanted to obey Him and serve Him in this beautiful place that He had made. But their sin brought an awareness of self and what they had done. And now they felt guilt and they felt shame over their disobedience. You see, sin causes us to become self-conscious and not God-conscious. 
And then we try to cover up what we have done. So what's the first thing that Adam and Eve did? They tried to cover up their guilt and shame by their own human efforts. We read this in Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Have you ever seen duct tape clothing? It just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But it's unbelievable the creative things they can do with duct tape. And I'm not talking about just a standard silver duct tape, but all these colors. There is, in fact, a prom dress and prom tuxedo duct tape clothing contest. And high school kids make this clothing and first place winners get a $10,000 scholarship. And you ought to go home this afternoon and Google duct tape clothing. It is remarkable what they can do. But here's the problem for Adam and Eve. They don't have any duct tape. But they do have fig leaves because there must have been a lot of fig trees in the Garden of Eden. Here's the reality. Since the very beginning, human beings have tried to cover their sin and hide the guilt and shame of what they've done. By their own efforts, human beings like you and me try to make ourselves acceptable to God. Human beings think that, what can I do to somehow erase the guilt because of the sin I've done, because of my disobedience? Well, maybe I'll start going to church, but wait, you forgot you have ecclesophobia and you're afraid of church. Well, can't do that. Maybe I'll do some good deeds or I'll give some money to the Salvation Army and the Red Kettle. These efforts and others like them are symbolic of the fig leaves that Adam and Eve tried to use to cover themselves when they had sinned. Now, good deeds are commendable, and many of you excel at doing good deeds. But our sin can't be covered by the fig leaves of our own human effort. Our fig leaves are an effort to somehow make ourselves acceptable to God. And that's what Adam and Eve tried to do. They covered themselves in fig leaves because they knew they had to someday face God. And it came a lot sooner than they thought. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When Adam and Eve heard God in the garden, they were still filled with the consciousness an awareness of their disobedience and sin. And they made a decision, let's hide from God. We can do it. Ever play hide and seek with a young child? 
remember playing hide and seek with my children when they were young. And as long as they had their head behind a couch or behind a chair, they thought they were hidden even though the rest of them was exposed. It was comical. It made me laugh. And it was just as comical as Adam and Eve trying to hide from God. Or you trying to hide from God. Or me trying to hide from God. Adam and Eve had a big problem. They couldn't hide from God. And neither can you or neither can I hide from God when we have sinned. Moses said this to the people that he was leading. Read it with me. And you may be sure... Sure, sure, read it, that your sin will find you out. Adam and Eve used to enjoy fellowship. They, they used to enjoy a closeness with God, their creator. But now they're trying to hide from him because of that breaking of one command. Trying to hide from God didn't work with them in the Garden of Eden, and it won't work with you or me today. Our sin and disobedience can't be covered by the fig leaves of our human efforts or our self-righteousness. Here's an ironclad guarantee. Our sin will be found out by a holy and righteous God. So discovery one, fear comes from disobeying God. Discovery two, fear comes from a, a sense of, a, of awareness, of self-consciousness, and your awareness over sin. So our third discovery, fear comes from a distorted view of God. So we're going to go backtrack and look in on Eve's encounter with Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan came to Eve in a disguised form because it was him speaking through the serpent. Satan turned Eve's thinking upside down. And he caused her to doubt the goodness and the love of God. He wants us to doubt. His question was intended to plant these thoughts in her mind. Now Eve, this can't be right or fair that God isn't letting you choose to do what you want to do with your life. Eve, would a loving God try and restrict your freedom to do what you think is best for you? Something along those lines, but he was trying to plant doubt in her mind. When Satan was deceiving Eve, he was twisting and distorting what God had said earlier to Adam. We know that because we have it recorded for us. And we've read it previously, but the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, you are free, Adam, 
to eat from any tree in the garden. The five million trees I've made, the one million trees, the 100,000 trees. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from that one tree, you will certainly die. Satan was trying to deceive Eve into having a distorted and twisted view of God. He wanted her to think that God isn't good and loving and that he can't be trusted to tell her the truth. Now, to me, it sounds like the same old tactic that Satan uses today to deceive and trick and mislead billions of people who live on planet Earth. And as one of the pastors in this church, and I know Pastor Damon would agree with me when I say, we hope and pray that you're not one of those people who's buying into Satan's lies and deception this morning. Because he's a master at it. You know why many people are struggling with fear? It's because they have a distorted view of God. Adam was hiding from God because he didn't know what God would do to him because of his disobedience and sin. So many 21st century Adams and Eves, they've sinned or they're sinning now. But they don't want to go to God and confess and ask God the Father for forgiveness. You see, they're trying to hide from God. They're trying to do life without God. And they have guilt. They have shame over their disobedience and sins, and they are spiritually separated from God this morning. If you live your life separated from God, you're going to experience fear. Now, it may not be today, but someday for sure. And it may not even be in this life, but in the life to come. And there is a life to come for each of us. And at that moment, you're not going to be wearing a T-shirt that says, no fear. Well, maybe you will because that will be your fig leaf. And here's the truth you need to grasp this morning. God is for you. Even if you are in your sins, God is for you. God is not against you today. I love what the psalmist said. Read it with me because it's for us. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? The truth of this verse about God being for you and God being for me will help defeat fear no matter what happens in your life between now and and your death. And I do hope you know that God is for you this morning. And he loves you this morning. He's for you. He's for me. But there's one thing I also know. He's not for our sins. 
He loves you. He loves me, but he doesn't love our sin. Because he's not for our sins, we need to see this verse. For you, Lord, are good. Underline that. You're good, God. And you're ready to forgive, yay. And you're abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. You got to call on God if you want the mercy. Do you need forgiveness today? That's between you and God. Have you sinned and you're dealing with, with the guilt of that sin, the weight of that sin? You're dealing with the fear of that disobedience and sin? God, who's abundant in mercy, there's no limit to his mercy. It's unlimited, abounding, abundant in mercy. He's ready to forgive you. He's ready to forgive me if we will call out to him in confession and repentance. It's a transaction you make with God alone. You don't make it with the priest. You don't make it with the pastor. You don't make it with your spouse. If you call out to the God who's abundant in mercy. See, don't be like those New Testament religious leaders that Jesus dealt with all the time. And they thought they were good by their own human standards. And thus, God was obligated to accept them on that basis. You owe us, God. We're doing all these religious things down here. And that's not the way it works. You see, God doesn't accept people just because they think they are good. Because if anybody knows, it's God who knows all about us. And he knows differently. And the Bible reminds us in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned. We've all sinned. And the only way that you and I can receive forgiveness is we come out from our hiding places and we confess our sins to him, to the Lord who's abundant in mercy. Jesus died on the cross and I thank him every day that he did for me. He died on the cross that I could have forgiveness and that I could have a closeness and a fellowship with God that I'd never have any other way. So this morning, on a very hot summer day in the Midwest of the USA, on the planet Earth, I pray that we embrace a better slogan than no fear. How about this one? No fear, just forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the story of Adam and Eve. We thank you that we see ourselves in their story, knowing, Lord, that we're incapable of keeping any 
commandments on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live godly lives, Christ-honoring lives, to be more like Jesus every day. And I know that's the hope and desire of so many in this room, that we want to be more like Jesus. And Lord, show us that when we do sin, because we're prone to sin, that you're quick to forgive us because you're the God who's abundant in mercy. If we will go to you, if we will confess and, and repent and ask you to cleanse us by your precious blood, you'll do so. So today, Lord, we thank you that you do love us. You're not against us, but you don't love our sin. So help us, Lord God, in this life that we live and the temptations that Satan throws at us as he did with Eve to realize you're a good God and we can come out from those hiding places and we can turn our hearts and lives over to you because you know what's best for us now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. There's a prayer team will be up here in just a moment. If you need prayer for anything, I invite you to come forward. God bless you. See you next week.